and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Stephen, I have great news. Finally, after all of these years of waiting, I don't know if it's been, has it been years? I don't know. Dead Cells is a video game that is out, (laughs) and you can buy it on Nintendo Switch. It is out of early access. You can play it. Um, I think it came out last year on PC in early access, but it is officially out everywhere on Xbox One and PS4 um, and Switch, which you and I have been playing it on. Yeah, and this has been a game that we've sort of had in our wish list for a while, and I think we've been waiting to specifically play it on Switch. And I am really enjoying it. Uh, I think that there's a lot of room for discussion in terms of the genre it's marketing itself as and, and what it kind of embodies when you're playing it. Yeah, totally. For the listener, it, it is a Metroidvania. Seems to be a recurring theme. Metroidvania, a roguelike, and um, this one, actually, I'm not sure if it was a point you made or if it's, a, if it's the game outwardly saying this, but it's more Bloodborne esque than dark souls in terms yes. of the combat yep absolutely uh it's it's very frenetic it feels more like a, a fighting game weirdly than yeah. than a roguelike generally does um even more than hollow knight like hollow knight you know there, there are a lot of comparisons to be made between the two a lot of people are saying oh there's these two great uh, metroidvania dark souls inspired games out on switch right now which one should i buy i would say that hollow knight although the combat gets very very intense towards the end of it dead cells starts off like you are playing street fighter which is amazing it It is wild it definitely we were talking about this earlier but it feels it reminds me of a lot of side-scrolling sega genesis games in a good way yeah and basically you start off as this beheaded prisoner who gets embodied by these cluster of cells and and now you have a ball of fire for a head which is wonderful which is great. It's a great <laughs> look. Uh, did you say it's like Vector Man? Yeah, yeah, it's it's very Vector Man. Some of the enemies also look almost exactly like Vector Man, which is they weird. They do, especially in the beginning. And whenever you kill an enemy, uh, sometimes you can pick up cells that um, some of them will upgrade certain attacks. They might give you more health. Some of them are more permanent bonuses. And then whenever you die, you respawn as a new headless body. And you basically lose all of that. But what's cool about the game is that rather than I mean, it is frustrating when you die, but whenever you die, you kind of learn a little bit more about the story, Um, especially in the beginning, because there's sort of like a warden or someone who's there with you in the beginning. That's like, hey, have you noticed how this place looks different whenever you die? And you're like, yeah, I have noticed that. I've noticed a lot of new things while I've been going through this. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very transitory period of my life, actually. (laughs) Yeah, and you meet a lot of these strange alchemists who seem to know more about you than you know about your character. And they are like, oh, you found these items and you've been killed by these enemies. And um, you can unlock, you can spend cells to unlock perks that allow you to respawn with certain items um, which is really cool so the whole game is kind of built around the idea that you are going to keep dying and it's interesting sort of experiment on like you are while you're dying you're actually experiencing new layouts of the map you're getting better at fighting the enemies you might find really different all the items are super different Uh, i'm still learning like which i like the most there's one that's like a hadouken of ice that freezes everything in front of you which is fantastic incredible Uh, my favorite layout so far is the twin daggers that ice hadouken i mentioned and then there's a like a uh there's like a grenade type weapon but it's it's just a fixed spinning plate basically that just keeps stabbing enemies near it if they walk into it, I, I want to know kind of your background with roguelikes, because I would say for me, we, we had a conversation not on the podcast, but uh, just talking about the Vita and, and how much I love the Vita as, as a console. It was yeah. probably my favorite console I ever had, uh, specifically because it was like an indie roguelike machine. I had sure. Rogue Legacy on there. I had Binding of Isaac on there. I had um, what was the other one? Nuclear Throne was on there. So I, I just want to know what your background is on that. I I think you're definitely uh, more into roguelikes than I am, but I've definitely had a lot of roguelikes that I've really enjoyed. Um, I loved FTL. FTL was probably the roguelike I put the most hours into, and yeah. that's a game where you are like basically it's like a top down perspective of a of a ship in space and you have to tell your crew to man certain stations and uh you have to basically go through the galaxy and it's always different and it's really really difficult um yeah 
but it's super fun and and great i'd recommend that game if you haven't played it yeah i could see that coming out on switch with um touchscreen support at some uh, point that would be amazing yeah and i've also played <laughs> i've played this rogue this like really old school roguelike for the Sega <laughs> genesis called fatal labyrinth which uh-huh. i recommended to you and you hated it uh-huh sure did i only recommended it because i was like hey you like roguelikes my new friend brendan who i will soon lose um <laughs> this is where they all started was this weird game for the genesis that is not great mm. so and i'm trying to think of what other games i've played i played a bit of rogue legacy i i wasn't as into that one but i enjoyed it i would say ftl is definitely the the crux of my roguelike experience so yeah but i like the genre i think it's cool i think it's hard to pull off in a way that doesn't just become frustrating right and i think that already dead cells seems to be built around that you're gonna die a lot a little bit uh of a background on my end i played the first roguelike i played a majority of was binding of isaac uh that came out and i was like oh this is a really disgusting looking game (laughs) like it's really grotesque experience let me let me see what this is all about and then i kind of got stuck in the loop of things um so i played that a lot and then the next one i played after that was spelunky uh, Spelunky, kind of a completely different vibe. Uh, Binding of Isaac, apparently heavily inspired by the original Spelunky, the Spelunky classic that came out online. But what's interesting, I think, about those two games is that they are two different approaches to the same genre, right? Like Spelunky came out and kind of revitalized and reinvented the idea of roguelike. And it was very kind of by the book, right? So this uh, is a world that is constantly generating itself for you every single time you play it. And there is no real method of progression Beyond, you are just getting better at the game and you are learning by dying. You are learning about different situations. You are learning which items work well in some situations, which don't work in other situations. Should I be saving my bombs? Should I be saving my ropes? Things like that. Um, And over time, you will find yourself getting better and better and better until you can finish it. Binding of Isaac is interesting in that it is a similar kind of skill curve, but simultaneously, you are unlocking things that will last forever. There is a sense of progression in both unlocking new characters by doing certain uh, objectives throughout playing, but also you'll unlock new items and then unlocking new items will sometimes make things easier or harder based on how they interact with one another and how your runs go based on that uh, RNG that happens as you're continuing to play. So those are like the two kinds of roguelike that exist. And I, I think the one that kind of stuck with me the most, although those are probably the two that I played the most, was Rogue Legacy because it had this idea that when you died, you got to keep all of the money that you had. Right. You were technically uh, inheriting that as you played the game again as that person's offspring, I guess. Yeah, it's a funny like series of paintings that show up when you do that. Right, and you can spend yeah. that money on what become permanent upgrades. Like my attack power will always be better now because of the amount of money I got in the last run. You could go in and decide like I'm going to pick this character specifically because they have this perk so I can go in and I can get enough money so the next run after that I can spend all of this on this upgrade and yada 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 until eventually you have this incredible tree of upgrades and it's like I'm an unbeatable force simultaneously I got better at the game by playing it for many many hours Um, so those two things kind of coalescing and becoming one fusing together make me invincible and then you can kind of like storm through the game I would say that Dead Cells is more like Rogue Legacy than it is like Spelunky in that way it seems like although you are going in and and getting better and the combat is frenetic and really interesting uh you have this permanent upgrade system one of the first things that i unlocked one of the first things i spent my cells on was the ability to take money with me after i died so now it Same really thing. is like Rogue yeah. legacy you get to keep th- what up to three thousand is the first unlock and you continue to get these upgrades and then it has the binding of isaac thing where also you can spend cells on unlocking weapons which are now in the item pool going forward so yeah I just like mechanically i think it falls under the kind of roguelike that i tend to get more into spelunky i loved and i i I cherish that game and having beaten it it's like a crowning achievement of my life but i I tend to play more and more and more of the binding of isaac rogue legacy kind of game so dead cells on the outset as soon as it came out i was like this is exactly made for me this is like the most (laughs) brendan bigley game of all time and i heard it was going to come out for switch and i was like i just have to sit here patiently for a year until that happens and here we are something that so i went in expecting to like it as well and i think cuz we definitely both enjoy 
elements of, of similar games in terms of like you know we both really like hollow knight and and i think that everything that i knew about it because kind of i kind of went in blind i hadn't watched any videos of it i hadn't seen any early access gameplay and it plays just like it promises basically yeah but what i really like is that the music is great like i was i don't know i wasn't expecting it to be bad but i'm like really into the soundtrack yeah it's awesome and the game's tone is a lot goofier than i thought it was going i to had be. no idea that it was yeah. gonna be as funny as it is yeah it does not take itself seriously seriously really at all which i'm surprised by because i think it's inherently morbid i mean the first thing you see the first sound you hear is like i can see like the cells <laughs> fall out of yeah, the it just looks like and, like boogers like like yeah. living boogers falling from the sky yeah um but the uh the moment that made me laugh was when you're first in that alchemical laboratory which is sort of like your home base every like rest point there's the pile of like fly infested corpses and if you check it out your character goes like oh this look a lot like me oh like yeah. it's like it suddenly realizes <laughs> that that's that's just the bodies they're pulling from whenever you die yeah i kind of like that i mean i think that i enjoy that sort of light sense of humor because it's a game that is going to be frustrating because it's very hard you're going to die a lot and the fact that the game kind of has a tongue-in-cheek tone, I think, helps with that because it's not just like constantly like this never-ending cycle of death is your fault, right? You know, yeah. I had that with. Uh, you ever play Darkest Dungeon? Oh no, I didn't. I I didn't play Darkest Dungeon because of that exact thing. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny because it's just so the narration in that game is so over the top. Yeah, but it is like you lose that. I think you could probably count that as a roguelike too. Actually, I, yeah, I yeah, no, that definitely is one. Not. You lose these characters you've invested in, and the narration is like thus ends the never-ending sorrow of the, you know it's yeah. like it's like oh i need to walk outside um <laughs> so i i enjoy that dead cells is uh is sort of a breath of fresh air in terms of the tone you'd expect from a game like this yeah kind of all the best roguelikes i find or at least the ones that i've liked the most have all kind of had that vibe to it like ftl i played and enjoyed but did not get as into kind of for that reason it like took itself very seriously which it should it is a great game and and tonally kind of hits the mark but the ones that i uh, tend to find myself drawn to are like the rogue legacies or the spelunkies or even binding of isaac which as grotesque as it is like is a just inherently kind of goofy premise yeah in a way sure. in a like a morbid way but yeah dead cells is is fantastic tonally i was really surprised by it i also find myself like i also find it i feel cool playing it which is interesting <laughs> in, what it's do you like, mean by that just in a way that i wasn't expecting like i'll say this when i started playing the game i would say the first three runs i was like i don't think this is what i wanted it to be i didn't like oh, it very much interesting for the first couple uh the first couple plays so my first playthrough i got up to the first boss like my first run I got up to that boss and I was like, OK, I know that I'm going to die immediately. Like, I'm not in a place where I'm going to be able to take this thing down. And of course, it like just eviscerated me. But I think like the first thing that kind of stuck out to me the most was the jumping felt really off. Uh, you don't jump as high as I thought you were going to for some reason. And double jumping doesn't even feel like you're really getting that high up into the air um so there was that i i was having kind of a hard time getting used to the dodge roll and things like that but after like three or four runs i had this one moment where i was in the middle of combat with like three or four different enemies like different enemy types and i at this point knew all of them by their attacks i knew all of the things that they could do uh they telegraph their attacks really well there's like literally an exclamation point that pops up above an enemy's head before they do a thing and and they telegraph which attack they're going to do if they have multiple so it was this moment where there were four enemies there they were all attacking simultaneously and i went into fighting game mode where i was like i know exactly what i'm going to do and i pulled off a series of dodges attacks like throwing items using two different kinds of attacks so you can have two different weapons simultaneously and i i, I planned out and knew exactly what move i wanted to do when pulled off every single one in succession and then had a moment that I usually only have when I'm playing a really intense game of Overwatch or like a really competitive game of Destiny or like Melee or something where I actually had the pop off moment like I jumped out of my chair and I was like yes I cannot <laughs> believe I pulled that off and from that moment on it was like I love this game this is, yeah. this is exactly what I wanted like it's so tight and precise. I think it works because I think I went in, you know, having played a lot of Hollow Knight recently, and I feel like with Hollow Knight and with Dark Souls, you have those moments of intense combat. Yeah. But most of the journey is very somber. It's very kind of quiet in a weird way. You're just yeah. sort of walking 
And you're like, oh, that's a big mushroom. I'll sit here for a bit, you know, or whatever. Maybe that's just how I play. And in Dark Souls and Hollow Knight, when you beat a boss, it's not like, oh, I climbed this mountain. This is incredible. It's more just like relief. It's more like, oh, thank God it's over. (laughs) In Dead Cells, whenever I beat something, I'm like, yeah, I am a golden god. I am the best person who has ever And you get showered with treasure and items and stuff. It reminds me a little bit of, I think the game shines when you have those moments where there's like eight things coming at you and you're just like, fighting stuff on the way to the boss so just constant you know yeah. rolling out of the way that's where it really comes together and i think it reminds me in that way a bit of strider i don't know if you ever played that uh, oh really i didn't but i know game. i i've seen a lot of gameplay yeah that's a really old sega game that is like basically like about a ninja Mm-hmm. fighting stuff in, in a somewhat similar fashion this is much more graceful than the original strider was <laughs> although yeah. they remade it in 2014 and, it, and it had, yeah. yeah they had sort of similar uh like fast-paced combat but but yeah i i like the vibe i'm getting from it i don't know it's still a little early for me to know like where like you said before like w- w- with investing in a rogue like it's like how many runs do i want to do how far do i want to get kind of mm-hmm. thing yeah and i'm really enjoying it and i'm i'm just sort of figuring out like okay is this going to be a game it's going to be like a go to game or am i going to kind of get to a point where i'm like oh, i feel like satisfied with this experience you right. know i'll move on i'm also at a point now where i i only have had a switch for like maybe a month and i have all these games kind of like staring at me longingly so yeah you're in a position that i am glad i am not in at the moment <laughs> because you simultaneously have octopath zelda uh, okami comes out tomorrow dead cells yeah. hollow knight like you're kind of stacked i i'm in a i'm in a nice spot <laughs> at the moment sure. where i just have dead cells and that's it yeah i i definitely um i put octopath on a resting bench for a bit because i dumped like almost 40 hours into that game right away yeah and i'm like i really want to talk about something else we talked yeah. about i think we talked about <laughs> Octopath as much as we possibly can so but yeah i'm really uh, i'm really enjoying dead cells it's a super fun game and Again, like you feel cool playing it. You you feel really satisfied pulling off these intricate combos that you don't in similar games. Yeah. Um, you don't get that same catharsis. Yeah. I I adore uh the item system in this game. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. So you you basically start off with uh a sword of some sort and they'll give you an option between a long range bow or a shield to start with if you want to uh and you can spend cells on making sure that the bow and shield that they give you to start and eventually your sword could pick from the item pool of things that you've unlocked as well which is kind of cool so instead of starting with like this basic gear you can get kind of like upgraded stuff mm-hmm. but over time you'll start unlocking or start finding and and using these like trinkets um and there's a bunch of different ones my, my favorite personally is uh, like a little turret that you can throw down uh and it just like i don't know it shoots enemies it's it's literally a turret but you have to stand kind of close to it or else it won't work and it'll like make them bleed or whatever and you can continue to upgrade these things over time as well so you, there's a little guy in the like in between areas where you can have him upgrade the items that you have with you to be better and re-roll their stats and re-roll the effects that they have so it's like oh now if it's bleeding uh, it also takes poison damage for some reason. Why not? Or now the shots will pierce through enemies so you can hit multiple enemies at once. So you get those kinds of things. But then simultaneously, you can also get new swords and new bows and new shields and things like that. I don't know if you've used the shields as much. I kind of bounce back and forth between using them or not. But I really enjoy the idea of and I'm not good enough to implement it yet. So I'm not I'm staying away from them. But I like the idea of perfect parrying in the way you can with like Bloodborne. Yeah. If someone uh, goes and hits you or shoots you with a projectile, if you throw up the shield at the right time, you can deflect almost like Fox in Melee. You can deflect that item back at them and you don't take any damage. But if you're a a second too early or too late, you'll take, I think, 25 percent or somewhere in that vicinity of the damage and maybe still reflect. It's really uh, the the shield is an interesting mechanic. I there's so much depth to it. It really does feel more like a fighting game than anything else. Yeah. And I think what's cool, too, is that well, I I go for the bow over the shield. Yeah, me too. For right now, I've also like favored getting the whip as well. I don't know if you use the whip at all. Yeah, the whips are awesome. The whip is great. It like it it's really quick and it it kind of is like a good keep away weapon. But if you hit them at the right, like the tip of the whip, basically, <laughs> I didn't mean to rhyme, but whatever. Uh, it like critical hits and it's like really really powerful. Something I also really like is that when you give it, are given a chance to upgrade, I think it's red, purple, and green. Red, purple, or green. If you yeah. upgrade 
red it makes your red weapons more powerful red being red weapons being like uh if you're attacking with like physical melee so a sword or you can get like wraps and shoes on your feet and stuff that you can use to attack so that's red yeah very close range and but and then um purple is like your bows those are your whips and your and your other weapons and Mm -hmm. then green is your mutations and i think there are a handful of green items but what's really interesting is that each upgrade also gives you a bonus to health. Red gives you the least health because it's, you know, it's all about the melee weapons sort of like being up close and personal. It's the riskiest play. What I found is that it depends on which ones you pick. So if you go in and you pick green over and over uh-huh. and over again, eventually your red upgrades will actually upgrade your health more than the greens will. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. I guess that makes more sense. But in the very beginning, green, at least for me, was the most. Maybe because I could just kept doing red. <laughs> Um, What I also love about this game, and I have to say before I forget, I don't know if you've played around with the pause menu at all, but no, I haven't. In options, there is a, you know, there's sound, video, all that stuff. And then it just says diet. And you're like, what? And you can go to diet and you can. (laughs) So you find food throughout the game that gives you you know health yeah it's like the castlevania like bust the wall open and there's like a chicken in there or something you can change the food you find so there is carnivorous there's vegetarian there's fruitarian there's castlevanian which is literally that oh and there's just one called baguette which is what i have on where you just find baguettes and like (laughs) that's what heals you it's so good i've never ever seen a game that gives you that option in my life i love that yeah. That reminds me of Splunky, how you can change the um the maiden to like a, a big hunky Fabio guy or a pug. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I, I am exclusively a baguette player at this point. So that's, that is literally the first thing I'm gonna do as soon as I go back and play it. <laughs> I thought you would appreciate that. So yeah, is, is it everything? I know you said when you first started playing it, it it you weren't as into it, but now you seem to be really enjoying it. Has it lived up? to your expectations do you think it's going to be like your next go-to game or yeah so far it is um exactly what i was hoping it would be uh it did take me a couple runs to kind of lock into it but at this point i do find myself finishing a run and immediately saying like all right next one let's do it um and i i like you i got past the first boss quote unquote um i guess it is the first boss they're called the concierge i think is the is the name and once you do that you unlock a daily challenge so it's kind of like splunky or binding of isaac where there's like a uh there's a seed that generates the same world for everyone who plays it that day so you can start doing the daily challenge and apparently if you do the daily challenge there are like specific things that you can unlock only by doing the daily challenge also uh which is cool so i'm really into that kind of level of depth um i i think it's it telegraphs your progress in a really great way by just literally hanging all of the items that you've unlocked from the ceiling uh, right when you spawn in after dying. So you can visually see how far into the game you are. Yeah. Overall, I, I think that's kind of a brilliant thing because it, it gets kind of like a little bit messy as you're playing other roguelikes like Binding of Isaac. There's kind of no way to tell how big your item pool is. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's spectacular. I think the combat is really tight. I think the, the humor is like more on point than I was expecting it to be. Yeah, me too. Visually, it's it's stunning. It's a it's a beautiful, beautiful game. It is. Yeah. Yeah, And the port is good. I saw some I saw some complaints on the Nintendo Switch subreddit saying that there are some frame rate issues. I haven't run into any of those yet, but that also doesn't mean that they're not there. And Motion Twin, the developer, has mentioned like we're working on patching it to fix that kind of stuff. I've run into that, but it's not it hasn't impacted it at all. It's usually when I find a big treasure chest oh, that like suddenly it just clips. So it hasn't been like, well, I'm in a big battle or anything. Um, yeah. Have you found the haunted treasure chests yet? Yeah, the cursed ones yeah yeah do you want to talk about what what those are i just i love that like so you can find these big treasure chests that have like cool items in them obviously but then there are these like cursed ones that have a face and they go like hey you hit me and then like (laughs) you put your hand in and like pull out like all this blood and then you're given like a lot of cool stuff but then you're cursed and i guess i've only seen one the curse i got is that i basically would die in one hit until i kill 10 enemies i would die in one hit that's to say i've i've done three of those chests and every single time i've gotten that same curse yeah but it's kind of worth it and it's a cool little challenge too yeah it's really interesting it it can totally make or break a run um i find that i tend to do it if i have the turret and and the bear trap so i can like lock people in place and then just put the turret in front of them because then then the 10 enemies is super easy yeah i i love i love that there are some things like i love that there are things that i haven't figured out yet i love like there are doors that i can't open there they are 
heavily alluding to the fact that I'm going to be able to wall jump like in Metroid at some point because there are some very tall towers that I can't climb up, but it seems like Mm -hmm. you would be able to if you had a wall jump mechanic. There's also, I don't know if you figured this out yet. This is the weirdest one for me. There are these statues that go up and there's like when you go up to them, there's there's a prompt where if you press R, the prompt is rub. And if you rub it, static electricity comes out. And that's I have literally seen it. those. Yeah, that the same thing happened. So there were like mounds of green mush that you could. The prompt was tickle. And they were just like, yeah. like it was kind of gross. But then yeah. after beating the first boss, it lets you like grow vines out of those clusters. Yeah. And that like lets you climb up certain areas. So that's where it gets Metroidvania E, um, depending on how you define that subgenre. I feel like just because the map is always different, it doesn't really have that same sense that like uh, Hollow Knight or Castlevania or Metroid or Dark Souls have, where like you get to an area, you know, you, you can't quite get there yet. You come back later. It doesn't have that sort of level design because it is always different. They're just sort of abilities you get that will let you like get to the next area basically so it's definitely a game that like i once i learned that that was the case i've been playing it faster and exploring less Uh, i guess i shouldn't say exploring less it's just sort of like i'm not like checking every room like i am in hollow knight i'm sort of trying Mm. to get to the next objective like as quickly and stylishly as possible i so i found the the we mentioned the time lock doors where if, if you don't make it to them like if your run is too slow you will not be able to open these doors and it'll tell you exactly how long it's been since the door locked forever As soon as I found the first one of those, I was like, for the time being, I'm going to focus on getting better at this game. And eventually I'll get to the point when I can start doing these time doors. Um, So right now I am very much in the I will explore every single room. I'm going to take my time with fights. I'm going to like, I don't know, just collect as many cells as possible and try not to die. Because right now I'm in this phase where it's like I'm just trying to unlock things that I know will make the runs easier in the future. And then at that point is kind of when I'll start to kind of speed things up that makes sense i think it's also there's a theme of evolution throughout the whole game you know they sort of say like oh the island is its own organism and it's changing as you play it and i'm wondering if it is just we might we might know this already i'm wondering if it is solely just procedurally generated each time or if the levels change some in some way adapting to your play style yeah, I don't know if this is if this is true or possible or what's going on, but I have found certain parts of a map were generated that I recognize. Like I know Binding of Isaac and Spelunky both are built in a way where basically the developers handcrafted like hundreds and in some cases thousands of rooms. And then they just kind of arrange them in whatever, like the, the map will generate them in whatever way. In Spelunky, Derek Yu, the developer, made all the different rooms and then created an algorithm that would create entry and exit points between all those rooms. Um, and sometimes those entry and exit points are so big that the rooms are kind of like inscrutable. And then he also added some like randomization stuff. Uh, in Dead Cells, I have found like, oh, I have literally been to this exact spot before and yeah. I'm just doing this spot again, which is interesting. I I don't dislike it. It's not like um, I don't want it to sound like, oh, they need to generate more stuff. <laughs> I need more rooms. Yeah. Narratively, it's kind of an interesting thing, right? Like if, it is. if this island is a breathing organism or whatever, like it's kind of funny that maybe the island really liked that spot right there. <laughs> That's why it's there again. We had such good times here when you uh, ran out of ice grenades and, and died. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, but I love it. I'm, I'm definitely going to play a significant amount of it. I can tell sure. you that much. Yeah, and we can check in again about it, too, because we are so freshly into it. So I'm wondering, yeah. you know, what will change. But definitely, uh, definitely a recommendation from me. I think it's a really fun game and it's fun to be on the Switch, too. Yeah, I'm enjoying that. Totally sick. You want to take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. Let's take a break. See you soon. Goodbye. I'm going to eat one huh? cookie first. Oh, please. This is good. Good audio. Uh huh. All right, whenever you're ready. No, you just have to sit here and watch me eat this cookie. I didn't think it through. <laughs> Much too good for children. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, Brendan and I are going to talk about Smash Brothers, which the time we're recording this, the direct was this morning. It's August yes. 7th, right? August 8th. I set an alarm like a like a true nerd <laughs> to get up early <laughs> and watch the Nintendo Direct. There is so much to talk about here, and it's all good, which is amazing. Uh, yeah. At least at least I think it's all good. 
what stood out to you the most? I think we can definitely like we'll, we'll talk for a bit about a lot of things, but sort of like if you had to kind of pinpoint one thing that you're most excited for, what would it be? I'm going to be a little abstract about it, I think. I love it. The thing that excites me the most about today's Nintendo Direct was Nintendo's like doubling down on the competitive community. Yeah. And like really trying to do their best to convince people to stop playing Melee, I think, by making this game <laughs> basically exactly what everyone has always wanted, right? Like, you have the Ridley announcement that happened at E3 that was, like, a meme, essentially. Like, everybody yeah. wanted Ridley as a playable character in Melee, and then he wasn't, and then, oh, suddenly, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, here's Ridley for all those Melee players that wanted him. The other joke was uh, King K. Rule. That was always the goof, was like, wouldn't it be funny if King K. Rool was a playable character? In today's Nintendo Direct, King K. Rool announced as a playable character. <laughs> yep. It's truly unbelievable. And and there's like a lot of little things, like the training stage now mm. is uh, has a grid background and will predictively show you how f you'll hit your enemy if you hit them at certain percentages and with certain smash attack power. And it's like literally saying, okay, you know that frame data that you spend you know, hundreds of hours pouring over and like compiling into GameFAQs, you know, text documents that's in the game now. That's a thing that we are officially condoning and saying, like, we're going to help you make that easier. There are so many little things that they announced at E3 that kind of led credence to that idea. But I think today was kind of like a doubling down on it in a way that I'm really surprised by, because like not so far in the past, Nintendo said, hey, Evo, you're not allowed to stream Melee because they they hated the Melee competitive scene so much. And now here they are a couple years later, um, I think having learned from the failings of Smash 4, not that Smash 4 failed, but it wasn't Melee and it didn't convince all the Melee people to switch over. Having learned from that experience, catering this game to that audience um, and knowing that that's the audience that's watching the Nintendo Directs, right? Like everybody's going to buy Super Smash Brothers, but the people who are going to get up early in the morning to watch the event live as it happens, those are the people that are going to play it competitively for 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. There's a lot. And I think what's cool is that they while they are kind of catering a lot of elements and features to the competitive scene, um, there's also still the option to make it a bananas party game if you want to do that. You Absolutely. Know, so like, yeah. the fact that every stage you can turn off hazards or you could, you know, have the stages morph into each other. I was, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I can't amazing. wait to play New Pork City that devolves into WarioWare. Yeah, um, or I can't wait to turn um, the Fire Emblem like Battle Siege into Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, there's a lot of like switches and levers you can you can like use to your liking to make the experience you want. If you want, you know, the Final Destination no yeah. items all all that so i like the that freedom of making the game however you want it to be i think that's really cool yeah i really I, i'm really excited about king k rule i i think that that's awesome uh also simon and richter from from castlevania amazing ridiculous castlevania is just in the in the ether right now it's everywhere uh Metro yeah, isn't amazing? castlevania so that'll be really fun i'm actually i'm really happy that they added more characters because i kind of believed them at e3 when they were like just because literally everyone is back and we've added Ridley, you probably won't see too many more new characters. And then immediately yeah. it's like, okay, here are two, what are they called? The characters that are kind of like originals, but they Echo are Fighters. Yeah. Echo Fighters. Yeah. And uh, here are two new characters. So I'm like, oh, okay, they're still going to be adding a bunch of people to this. Never mind the DLC that will follow. Yeah, we saw Simon Richter. King K. Rule, and then the two new Echo Fighters also were Krom from Fire Emblem Awakening, who was an assist trophy in the last game, um, right. and is now, I think, an Echo of either Lucina or Ike. I, I forget which one. I think he's an Echo of Lucina, because they're from the same game. Which is kind of bizarre, because Lucina is almost an Echo of Marth in the first place, so you have, like... <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, know what true. the familial connection is between Echo Fighters in that case, but... Um, and then the other one is Dark Samus from Metroid Prime 3? Corruption? Yeah, oh, no, yeah. that was two Echoes. Was it? Yeah, I think so. I thought it was three because I remember like every game for the Wii was like there was a dark reflection of the main character. Like <laughs> maybe, maybe it was three. Yeah, it was either two or three. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Something that also stood out to me that I couldn't believe what I was seeing is that you could use your Switch as a Spotify, uh, like a Super Smash Brothers soundtrack Spotify device. There are something like 800 music tracks in there. Some unbelievable number. And they said that they are 
arranging it in such a way where you can just go into a specific game franchises uh library just listen to all the music tracks for that but you can also build your own playlists yep and it'll continue to play the music if you put the switch into sleep mode so they literally want you to take your big ass nintendo switch and like hold it and listen to it like it's an ipod i can't wait to be that guy on the train that's just jamming to his switch like (laughs) no game just you hear like the faint echoes of animal crossing soundtrack like what is this guy doing yeah that honestly i i might do that because <laughs> why awesome. not because i'm gonna do it but i love that and also just the idea that like they're literally highlighting layouts of like oh the the echo characters the echo fighters they can either be in their own part of the character select screen or they can be like on top of the character they're associated with and you can switch right. who's who's you know premiered in, in the thumbnail you can choose the soundtrack for a game's le- uh, for a stage as long as it's in the same series as a game so like if it's a zelda stage any zelda song is sky's the limit it's a really great way of doing it yeah there's just so many it, it feels almost like they are clearly putting so much love and work into this game but there's a subtext of please never email me again holy shit you can never ask for anything else after this game comes out i guarantee yeah. the last direct is going to be like and by the way the story mode is like waluigi's like uh, waluigi dating sim <laughs> he's, he's the last he's the last fighter yeah uh, so please <laughs> the, stop yeah, the emailing last direct me. is finally the waluigi solo game because there was that there's a part of the menu that was like blurred out and they're like you might see that part of the menu that's blurred out we'll talk about that next time yeah in adventure mode like brawlhead i think so i think it will probably be something which i kind of i always look back on the subspace emissary like it was like a fever dream i had and i'm kind of curious what same yeah what they're gonna do it's it's always so goofy I, i love it i enjoyed playing it but it was not good you know what i mean like it was not a good experience but it was also absolutely hilarious i just couldn't believe my eyes if like, <laughs> in the beginning it was like okay this is fun like all our once it got to like we're gonna pair captain falcon with olimar i'm like they're just running out of ideas here and then you it was fight. it was either they ran out of ideas or they did not think before they started you know yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. I have no comparison for the Subspace Emissary. It is in a world of its own. It's Kingdom Hearts. It's Kingdom Hearts because then you fight like Master Hand's true puppet master, Taboo. Yeah, and, and Master Hand's brother is in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I've never, ever wanted this. No one wanted a narrative for this. What's hilarious, though, is like if you go on the subreddit, everybody wants Subspace Emissary back. It's like oh, the yeah. number I mean, one I, thing besides Waluigi that everyone's asking for. It'd, it'd be fun to see, especially with a roster this size, like try to write a story with everyone in this. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Try yeah. to write a story where Duck Hunt teams yeah. up with Krom. I want that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you thought Avengers Infinity War was impressive. Wait until you see Subspace Emissary 2. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. When everyone is here. Yeah, everyone is here. <laughs> god yeah i think honestly again you know the fact that ridley and king king k rule are in the game and they were basically jokes for like a decade yeah the fact I, I think waluigi is like on the radar I, I don't think he's like totally cast out yeah so waluigi showed up in the uh, original e3 announcement as an assist trophy mm-hmm. i wonder if because of the online discussion about him if he's going to get retconned in as a playable character at this point like it seems so here here's i think the most interesting most potentially telling thing uh polygon just ran an article talking about the nintendo direct noting that in the background there is a purple and yellow chair behind sakurai as he's talking oh my god i love that and everybody's wondering like oh my god are they actually gonna do it are they actually (laughs) gonna take waluigi from an assist trophy and like last minute convert him into a playable character which i wouldn't be surprised by because sakurai is kind of known for hinting at those things like i think last night or two days ago before the nintendo direct he he tweeted something along the lines of like you know i i am excited for this nintendo direct to happen because my eyes are so red from working or something which was hinting at castlevania potentially happening um like like in retrospect like of course that was a castlevania hint but nobody would have thought that so now everyone's wondering like do we read into the the purple and yellow chair or is that just what nintendo looks like (laughs) you know is that just what their office is yeah they love teasing stuff like that i i also liked how in the cinematic at the end when they introduced king k rule you know it was 
Donkey Kong and Diddy hanging out, and then they hear like do do, and everything shaking, and then it's King to Diddy. <laughs> yeah, like, I kind of <laughs> wanted it just to end there. Like, <laughs> how, how amazing would that have been? It's like, nope, it's just King to Diddy. They spent all that time making a cinematic that was literally just like. Oh, you wanted King K. Rule, but that's never happening. Like you got yeah. Ridley, you got the thing that you wanted. <laughs> King K. Rule looks awesome. I, I will definitely play as him. I like his. You know, he has all the attacks he has in the game, where he has like that musket that shoots cannonballs and, and mm-hmm. all that. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I I cannot wait to to play this game. Like I I've always been excited just by default, and this direct only made me more excited. Same. And the fact that it's in like four months, it's like not that long. Yeah, you called it too. Like when we in our E three episode, like you were saying that Nintendo does directs for things in the near future. They're not gonna like play all their mm-hmm. cards at E three and be like, "Here's what's gonna happen in 2021." Right. You know, whereas everyone else is like, "This will come out eventually." Here's a 2008 cinematic of the Final Fantasy VII remake coming soon for <laughs> PS three. Yeah, that's yeah. I I am like floored by this game. Every time I see it, I. I'm just surprised over and over and over again. I'm interested to see and we'll talk a little bit more about Evo um, soon, but I'm interested to see what the what the split is going to be like in the community, because like when Brawl came out, that was kind of an infamous split in the melee scene where like some people were playing melee and some people were playing Brawl competitively um, or as competitive as you could make that game. And like the community just got cleaved in half and then yeah. people slowly started to kind of trickle back into melee when they realized that Brawl wasn't offering that competitive scene because it was kind of like you know, a middle finger to that community in the first place, that entire game in a weird way. But then four came out and four was Nintendo. Like we are really trying to meet you halfway. Yeah. We're trying to meet you halfway. We're really trying to encourage this now. Like this is the thing that we're going to start putting money behind and start helping out and like sponsoring events and things like that. It was their first foray into like really getting into competitive gaming. And I wonder what the split in the community is going to be like when ultimate comes out, like is four just gone forever. Is this like street fighter where like nobody's playing street fighter two competitively on stage at Evo anymore. Is that how this is going to go where Smash 4 is just going to go away and now it's ultimate, you know, from here on out until, I don't know, until another one comes out at some point? <laughs> yeah, how do you, where do you go from here? I, I feel like the next Smash game would literally just be like Mr. Game & Watch looking at the sun. Like, there's like nothing. <laughs> you know? like, it's like, what What do you do when you have Press everyone? A to tell Mr. Game & Watch to put sunglasses on. Yeah, and he goes. <laughs> Mr. Game & Watch, no. <laughs> no, I have to see it then all. Then the sun gets closer, and you see it's like the Smash logo, and he just like it like zooms in on his face, and you see like weird human eyes like open up and do that's <laughs> He dissolves into nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's the Smash I want. Yeah, <laughs> and then it. <laughs> Super Smash Brothers, nothing. And it's just, it's just Sakurai being like, fuck off, let me retire. Here's yeah, nothing. Sa- yeah, Sakurai is old and retired. I at this gave point. you ultimate. What else do you want? Everyone's like, you didn't put a, you didn't put that guy from Comic Zone in the game. He's like, fuck off. You get nothing. You hey, get excuse Smash- me, though. I would love the guy from Comic Zone. And I know, so would I. That's why I emailed Sakurai asking him to put Comic Zone. Oh, God. His name is like Paige Turner or something. I got to look it up. Comic Zone for the listener, if you're not sh- if you're not sure what we're talking about. It's a side-scrolling game for Sega Genesis where you play as this like overwhelmingly 90s American gladiator dude. Long, blonde ponytail, wearing sunglasses inside at all times, wearing uh, wearing ripped black cutoffs. Uh, I think he's wearing Converse shoes and he also has a denim vest where he ripped the arms off. This would be an awesome cosplay, I feel. Anyway, yeah. his name is Sketch Turner, not Paige Sketch Turner. Turner. Sketch yeah. Turner yeah. is a quote-unquote starving artist and freelance rock musician living in New York City. <laughs> Holy shit. I, like, this started as a bit, but I, I really want Sketch Turner and Smash. I think we can make this happen. <laughs> Think about a comic book. Uh, now this is becoming real, and now I know the pain Zachary probably deals with on a daily basis. Someone's like, mm-hmm. hey, just in case you haven't been thinking about Smash Brothers, I have an idea. Um, can you put in... Um, uh, Jeff Goldblum uh, from The Fly? <laughs> <laughs> now you could just make a Smash Brothers of just Jeff Goldblum roles, and I would totally play that. Just like yeah, every, that would every- be a really good Twitter bot, wouldn't it? Just like... Can you please put and then just like insert a fictional character from Wikipedia in Smash? (laughs) 
that's the thing though is like the the rules for who can be in smash are are so broken now that i wouldn't be surprised if sakurai was like, okay goku's in it too leave me alone please stop emailing me i'm in it <laughs> it's, it's yeah. me sakurai i'm in i here. think sakurai like loves what he's doing i think he clearly has a passion for smash brothers but i also think it's a little bit of like okay like now you can't email me anymore because i've, I've yeah. done everything you've asked me to do yeah but yeah uh god now i'm on a comic zone i can't stop thinking about sketch turner which is a phrase no one has ever said (laughs) i just i just can't believe that you and i both even played comic zone (laughs) (laughs) i can't believe that we're the uh, the two people that played comic zone found each other and made a podcast yeah it's like the it's you can't get more esoteric than that game it's like (laughs) Oh my god, we should play it and see if it, it definitely doesn't hold up. There's no way. There's no reality. I, I found it in the way that, like, a fantasy protagonist <laughs> finds a magical world. <laughs> like, I, like I, I waltzed into a video game store that was, like, locally owned next to a super cuts in a strip mall on a highway and, like, yeah. tripped and fell and found a copy of Comic Zone. I was like, I don't know what this is, but it goes in the game system I own. Yeah. Bought it for, like, $4 and played it. <laughs> I don't have, I just somehow had it. I feel like I was born with it. Like, ducks are born knowing how to swim. I was just born with a copy of Comic Zone. Yeah, in two years, the Sega Genesis will be released, and this cartridge will yeah. show me the way. <laughs> uh, oh my god, we're, we're, we've lost our minds. I unleashed a, a demon with that. Yeah. I do wonder, though, like, the question that I think is worth considering is, like, is this going to be the last Smash? Because it might. I mean, I, I think I it's going to be Sakurai's last Smash, at least. Yeah, for sure. I just think that, like, you know, the Switch clearly has a long lifespan ahead of it. It is it's been out for less than two years and we already have like most of the first party games. We wait an entire systems life cycle for. Right. Like think yeah. about that. Like, we have the Zelda, the Mario. We're getting the Smash Brothers and all three of those games. I mean, Smash, I, I'm just going to say is probably going to be amazing. And Zelda and Mario, we already know are amazing. So it's just going to be the best yeah. Nintendo like era ever. I'm yeah, excited. It- it honestly feels like GameCube again, weirdly. Uh, not not since then have I felt like Nintendo was so on the ball. They had wins, obviously, here and there on the Wii and the Wii U and the 3DS, but I feel like GameCube was like this dominant era where although the console wasn't the most powerful in that landscape, the games that Nintendo was releasing were so far and away yeah. like the most interesting and inventive things happening in the gaming space at that point. And I feel like that's where we are again, both in hardware and software, like Nintendo is killing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Really good first party titles and great third party support. And it's finally, because that's the thing, like the Wii made a ton of money. It sold a lot, but it had the motion controls. So no one really was like wanting to add that to every game ever made. And the Wii U we've talked a lot about, so we can move on from there. But yeah, I'm really excited. I can't wait to play it. Yeah, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate out on Nintendo Switch in October. I don't know if you noticed, but the end of the direct, like after they reveal King K. Rool and like, ha ha ha, it's over. It like the camera, like a handheld shaky camera, like cuts to the back room and Sakurai is on the chair. And you just hear the like sound of like a page turning like he's like slowly skimming a book. And then the camera like goes past his face and goes on the pages. Who's that? It's Sketch Turner. And he's just, (laughs) (laughs) I can't do this anymore. Well, I think now's a good time to take a break. Yeah, it's probably a good time to take a break because this is never going to end. We got to get out of here. Let's run away from this bit. Oh, you know, we didn't talk about from the direct at all. Luigi is dead. (laughs) (laughs) Here's how uh, this will all unfold. The next direct, uh, that green part of the menu that, that was blurred out, and they said, like, we'll talk about that later. It says Luigi's Funeral. <laughs> you click on that, and it's the whole roster. All 70,000 people are there. They're all, they're all paying their respects. They're all mournfully dressed. And then, you again, just like in Carol, it's like, it shakes. Hand punches out of the grave. It's a purple glove. It's Waluigi, baby, and he's back from the dead. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. And that part of the menu is just watching that cutscene if you want to. <laughs> just watching that again. <laughs> it's like, dude, how you like to smash? Oh man, I've like spent at least 30 hours in Luigi's funeral, dude. It's so good. <laughs> it's incredible. Rest in peace, Luigi. <laughs> Wait, 1983 so- to 2018. He was 35 years old. Hey, welcome back to the uh the podcast that you're listening to already. 
Okay, last weekend was EVO 2018, EVO standing for Evolution. It is the number one biggest fighting game tournament in the United States. It's been around forever. It's, a, it's an institution at this point, I would say. We, we touched on it briefly last week because we recorded it while it was happening, I think, like during you know, the early bracketing. Yeah. Um, but then the next two days after that, that was like all I did. Like I put aside everything else I was doing for that day and I just watched Evo literally all day and it was the most fun. I forgot how fun it is to watch Evo. I watched yeah. Melee and then I watched Tekken uh, and then I watched DBZ and all three were like earth shattering. We talked a little bit about DBZ last week, but what do you think of the new Tekken? How, do, how does it look to you? Or how did you enjoy at least the Evo presentation of it? It's fun to watch. I Tekken is a game that I played very briefly when I was in middle school and like didn't really super get into in the same way I got into Smash Brothers and Soul Calibur at that point. Mm -hmm. It looks fun, though. It looks fun. Like it, it was nice kind of have it going from the like uh, side scroller Smash Brothers DBZ kind of like 2D idea to a 3d arena fighting game um so it was nice kind of for that switch to have those in between there but yeah i i would say of the three that was probably the least fun to watch oh, okay personally but it looks like a fun game like i'm sure I'm sure it's good. I really loved Tekken Tag Tournament. That was sort of the peak of my interest yeah. in the series. I, that was like I, the one that everyone had. Yeah. yeah. I grew up with Tekken 2 and Tekken 3. That was another game that my family and I played a lot together. I haven't really played as many of the newer ones. I also kind of switched to the Soul Calibur Smash Brothers train. That was like 2003 GameCube era. I feel like Soul Calibur 2 and Melee were like the fighting games. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of oh, crazy yeah, how well they've aged. Yeah, Melee, I mean, obviously, Melee was on the main stage at EVO this year. Um, coming back from the brink of death, that scene has kind of exploded. It was uh, until DBZ happened, it was the highest viewer count for EVO ever. Uh, and then a couple hours later, the DBZ finals happened yeah. and just skyrocketed. But yeah, talk um, about a game that's fun to watch. It's literally like watching an episode, like yeah. in every way. It's it's just so over the top and fun. Did you watch any of Evo? I have not. Uh, I'm just familiar with the games, but yeah, yeah. The the thing that was kind of amazing about Evo, and I think it's been long enough. I know some people are like wary about spoilers for Evo, which I think is like amazing that people watch it the same way they do with sports where it's like they DVR it while they're gone and then come yeah, back. It's like, yeah. Nobody tell me who won. <laughs> I love that. But I think it's, you know, it's been a couple of days at this point. Yeah. The, the thing that was amazing about Melee at Evo, I, I think like just to give a quick background. Um, so you and I used to work for a video game site and then we spun off and tried to start up a new one. And one of the like first main stories that I wanted to do was this long term year long report on what it's like to join the Melee community so late in its life cycle. Because um, that game at that point, I think, was like 12 years old, 13 years old, maybe something like that. And it was being shaken up a lot, right? There were like all these people who were kind of dominant at the game. Uh, for those of you who were kind of in the loop, there was a guy named Ken who was like just the best at Melee and would win every single tournament for like years. He was dominant. There was nobody that could take him down. Um, and then eventually a couple people came along and kind of took him down simultaneously. And it was like, you know, four or five people that all at the same time were like, we're going to get to Ken's level. And since then, there's kind of been this power imbalance where like there's some people who are uh, better against other people. So it kind of just depends on who gets bracketed, how and stuff like that. And yeah. who takes what tournament. And over time, it became these five people that they, they called the five smash gods or the five gods of smash who were like always winning tournaments all the time. They all played um, mostly as different characters, which is interesting. So like you just kind of needed to know those matchups. And like those were the five people that you needed to take down. And there was this kid from Sweden who was named Leffen, who had a really weird history where he was like the villain of the Smash community for a while. He got banned from tournaments in Sweden for an entire year at one point. Oh, wow. Because his behavior at events was so toxic and his his behavior like on the Smash forums was so toxic. He just got banned. After that year, he kind of came back and was like a, a better. He was just a better person in general, uh, but also had been practicing a shitload. Oh, no. And started to slowly take down the gods of Smash one by one. And he was like, I don't want you to put me in that same pantheon i want to show you that anyone can practice super hard and then take these people down like you can start smash now and become better than these people ever were so this year he won evo he is the champion of evo 2018 and it was like miraculous like knowing that backstory knowing all of that about him it was miraculous watching him in the finals against armada who is the number he was probably considered number one in smash 
is also the person who decided to ban him from tournaments in Sweden. So you have like that old school rivalry happening as well. Wow, that's a that's a really <laughs> I don't want to say a Greek tragedy, but like it's sounds like a very historic moment. Yeah, it was just it was just an unbelievable event to watch because uh, like even when I was kind of getting into the community and starting to practice and like starting to learn what it takes to get to that level. Leffen was already kind of on his way there, but that was still four years ago Mm -hmm. that he like start, you know, that he was like maybe halfway into that journey and it paid off this year finally. And it was just like, it was just an amazing thing. That community is so interesting and volatile in who is best and who is, uh, you know, on their way in or out at any given moment. And the fact that that game, which was made to be a party game, but had so many strange glitches in it that allowed people to turn it into a competitive game like that to me, makes it the most fun fighting game to watch these days uh, because you can see personality in how people play. And you can see the same thing in games like Street Fighter and DBZ, but not on the level of Smash for some reason. Like, you see two people playing Fox, and I can tell you, like, that person is Leffen and that person is Mango, who is another, like, top player. You show me two people playing Marth, and I could probably tell you the difference between the two of them. Like once you start watching enough of these matches, you can kind of start to see people's personalities come through and how they play. It's really, really amazing. There's a there's a nine part documentary that came out about Smash years and years ago. It's called The Smash Brothers. It's on YouTube, I think, somewhere. There's a line that I always think about whenever I watch Melee uh, from that documentary where this guy, he goes by Prague. He was like the, the commentator for like everything in Melee for years and years. He says, most fighting games are like classical music. Uh, you have to play them a specific way. There's there's a best way to play them. Melee is like jazz, where you know all the notes and you know all the scales, but you have to make it up as you go. And that's that's how I feel watching that game. I, it's brilliant. Wow. It's I, brilliant to watch. I gotta watch more videos. Uh, the way you describe it is so beautiful. Uh, I, I'm curious. So I, I remember hearing like in the competitive scene, it was basically Fox, Falco, Marth, Sheik. Are there still like are there still only a handful of characters that are viable competitively or have they since branched out to like give other characters a place in, in a competitive match? So one of, one of my greatest regrets, I think, was never finishing or publishing that piece that we ended up uh, starting. We got we went to one tournament that was called Zenith in New York City. Uh, that was like a baseline level of like, let's learn just how far down the bracket we are. Like, how bad are we compared to people that come to these tournaments? <laughs> and how bad were you? Oh, just got annihilated immediately. Uh, One of our mutual friends, Chris, went up against this guy named Zero, who ended up winning the entire tournament for his first match ever playing in the competitive scene. The footage of that fight is like, unlike anything I've ever seen. I mean, Chris didn't get a hit in. Chris didn't move. Like, he could not do anything. He just froze up immediately and just got taken to school, essentially. But what one of the main cruxes of that piece, one of the things I focused on the most, like getting embedded in the scene and starting to go to, to local tournaments and like getting better and better and better. I was playing as Marth competitively, but like I had this inkling that the tier list that exists saying things like Fox is number one, Falco's number two, Sheik is up there, doesn't apply as much as people think they do. Like the, like the tier list is not as solid as everybody assumes. Yes, Fox is a faster character and there are more interesting things that you can probably pull off and there are more places to push that character. And like there is a skill ceiling that hasn't been reached yet with him. But there are players uh, like a guy named Axe who plays as Pikachu who constantly places in tournaments. Um, There's another guy named Amsa from Japan who plays as Yoshi exclusively and he constantly places at tournaments. These people have single-handedly moved those characters up the tier list just by winning enough games in tournaments. So if one person can come in and move a character like Pikachu that people kind of dismissed multiple places up the tier list to like A tier, under S, under where Fox is, like it kind of just goes to show that if you can get really good at any character, you can make miraculous things happen. Armada, who is considered or until recently was considered the number one player in the world, mains peach basically exclusively peach is up in the s tier because of armada and because of a a previous player named wife they're like i just think that the tier list doesn't mean what people think it means you know what i mean mean, it's it's always sort of a it's like a guide i feel especially for a game that's been out for that long and and it's also like the the level they're playing at it's almost like it's a different game than the level i would say like most people are playing at it is absolutely a completely different video game Yeah. yeah Yeah, with the new Smash coming out and 
Sakurai and, and others working on it, trying to make the game a viable option for that community, it, it's hard to really like out of the gate be like, hey, we're going to give you a game that you've been mastering like an instrument for the last decade. You know, so it's going to I feel like that's the thing where time will tell where I can't help but feel like that uh, the allegory used of classical music versus jazz that like this new game seems to be tailor made to the competitive scene. So by extension of that, it's going to be like, okay, based on the work you've done, here's the game we've created for your competitive scene. And it's going to have the confines of that rather than here's a game we released that you discovered there were cool things in. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I I think like at the end of the day, Melee is never going to go away. Like Melee is such a high skill level game and such a fun game to watch that that community will stick around for a long time. I think like if Nintendo's goal with Smash Ultimate is to get people to switch from Melee and never go back to it and like kill that scene off and get people to play the game that they're pushing at the moment, like that's not going to happen. I think the best move for them is probably pump money into the Melee scene while also simultaneously pumping money into the ultimate scene, but just like maybe a little bit more into the ultimate scene. You know what I mean? Yeah, just like as an incentive. For but like, sure. As long as people are playing Smash competitively, they will also play whatever is the latest game competitively. Um, when I was first starting doing reporting on that scene, it was a couple weeks before Smash 4 came out. And I, I talked to a lot of players about like, hey, what do you think is going to happen to this scene when Smash 4 comes out? Are you worried that it's going to uh, like cut the community in half the way Brawl did? And basically everyone's response across the board. I interviewed like maybe 15 to 20 people about this. Almost every single person was like, if there's one thing we learned from Brawl, it's that Melee is never dying. People are just picking up Brawl as a second game after Melee. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, we'll have to see the, what the response is. Um, I mean, on my end, I'm in an again, I'm in another solar system of I'm just going to enjoy the game on more of a local level, you know, but that's cool that that exists, that you, that you can enjoy. I mean, I actually played Melee recently. A friend came over and he was like, oh, you have this? Let's play it. And it's still a blast to play. I also love the old orchestral soundtrack to that game too oh it's amazing i'm also noticing a recurring theme in our podcast of you being like here are the mechanics like and i'm like i like the music you know that's what i like (laughs) yeah i am really excited and i definitely am curious to see what the response is from the competitive scene and and definitely we'll probably watch more probably in retrospect check out some evo videos that i did not watch that you did highly recommended you mentioned in the last episode that you kind of uh, oscillate between playing rpgs and also picking up fighting games and like trying to get very good at them yeah i realized as i was playing dead cells that that is exactly my vibe with roguelikes oh interesting yeah i think it's only a matter of time for me before a fighting game comes out that i'm like okay i'm gonna do the thing that i do with spelunky and do with rogue legacy and do with dead cells and do this in a fighting game where the skill ceiling is infinitely high you know like i think i don't know what game is going to be maybe it's smash ultimate maybe it's not but like i think there's a point where where i'm going to be like i'm going to get really good at this and i'm going to try my hardest because i remember even in i think it was sophomore year of high school i got really sick uh i i had the flu for a week and I, it was like a week and a half. And I went back to school for one day and I got a stomach virus during that one day. So then I, I was out of school for like just about three and a half weeks total. Like I had to like do my schoolwork from home and stuff. And during that time, like within that first week, Guitar Hero 3 came out. That was the first time I ever remember playing a game so much that I felt myself getting better at it. And that was like an eye opening moment for me in the way that I think about video games and the way that I perceive skill levels. And like and like difficulty curves and things like that. It was the first time I'd ever really thought critically about a video game before, weirdly, was because I felt myself by the end of those couple of weeks being like incredible at Guitar Hero (laughs) and starting to realize that that was a thing that I like doing and realizing that even outside of video games, the feeling of getting better at something and mastering it is is something that I really, really enjoy. So I think like when Smash Ultimate comes out, I'm going to like actually give it a shot and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I am excited to like go to tournament for the first time in a couple of years and like get better that way because it's really interesting you know you play online or you play with friends at home and stuff but nothing compares to the first time you sit down at a tournament and play with other people who are playing competitively my first game that i that i played in that bracket in that first tournament i ever went to was um against this guy his name at the time was internet explorer uh, he played as Link. He actually went on to be he's the lead developer of Doki Doki Literature Club. If you play that game. Oh, I've heard of it. I haven't played it, though, but I've heard. Yeah. About it. So yeah. he he quit playing Melee so he could make that game, which is amazing. <laughs> what a departure. Yeah, yeah. So he he and I sat down. He 
you know, destroyed me. And we had like an extra 10 minutes to just sit there because every match was supposed to be 10 minutes. So we had 10 minutes blocked out. And he was like, do you want me to teach you some stuff? I was like, sure. Yeah, that sounds great. I told him, you know, I was writing this piece and whatever. And he just took me through all of the like high level mechanics of playing Melee uh, that were applicable to every character because he played Link and I was playing Martha at the time. But it was amazing walking away from those 10 minutes being suddenly better at a thing. It was like, oh my God, I actually did just go from, you know, very low on the totem pole to slightly higher on the totem pole, but still low just because of these 10 minutes I spent with this guy. And every sequential local tournament that I went to after that was like, I I feel myself getting better at this already just by playing against these people and losing every game i didn't win a single game i probably even didn't take a stock from any person that i played against but i walked away better and i I still have some of that in my brain which is kind of wild and that's really fascinating too because that's like the idea of a of a roguelike going back to dead souls is like you're gonna die 99 percent of the time but you're gonna get better each time exactly and that's a that's a really cool like lesson to take to heart just in yeah. everything is that like if you're if you're not scared of failure you will get better yeah i love that what a sincere end note to like an <laughs> yeah. episode that's been mostly me just expelling garbage I feel. i'm like you know what you know would be a good smash if danny devito showed up and, <laughs> and then the mask came in that's not what i want i think that's beautiful i love that don't be afraid of failure I think we should end. I like that too. There's a great quote in the new season of Queer Eye where Karamo says, failure isn't the opposite of success. It's part of it. And I think that kind of goes into what you're saying. I love that. Hell yeah. Uh, Cool. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Just again, we we say this every episode, but thanks so much to the people who are listening and people who are giving us feedback. It's very cool that anyone is taking the time to listen to it in the first place. Yeah, Uh, Especially in these early stages. Yeah, there are a lot of really, really nice reviews and and we appreciate that. It's, I mean, I, I... honestly like that means so much and um, we have fun doing these and and we're really happy that other people seem to be enjoying the fun we're having uh again thank you for listening and and all that good stuff yeah that having been said my name is brendan bigley you can find me on the internet at brendan bigley and i'm stephen hilger you could find me at stephen hilger we need to get a good sign off because i feel like it's always like and uh have a a good week and uh go play comic zone In the words of Paige uh, Sketch Turner, go play Comic Zone. That is what Sketch Turner says in the hit game Comic Zone for the Sega Genesis. Yeah. Is go play Comic Zone. Yeah, it's a weird. It's in. It's like in internal marketing. Anyway, the, have a great week. The things they do with narrative are just unbelievable. It's really um, defies sort of two mediums at once. Um, <laughs> it's sort of the thread in which I I live my life. Yeah. All right. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> All right. (laughs) See ya. See you later. TWG, the worst garbage dot online.